0: Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Well, hello there, and welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I'm John Murphy. This is your weekly podcast that chronicles two of everybody's favorites the Bills and the beer. The beer is from Sullivan's Brewing Company in Ireland. The sponsors of our show, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. We're going to talk about the beer and the business of beer with a special guest on this podcast, Maria McPeak. She operates the Irishman Pub on Main Street in Williamsville. As you might expect, they pour an awful lot of Sullivan's there. They do it well, too. We'll talk about Maria. We'll talk with Maria, rather, about running a successful beer program and what it takes for a restaurant pub to do that these days. Maria is also a board member of the Western New York Restaurant Association. We're going to talk with her about what restaurants are facing now with the new COVID restrictions and just how tough it is to do business. It's not easy. As for the Bills, who better than my pal, my partner, Steve Tasker. He's the color man. He's my main man on the Bills radio broadcasts every week. You know Steve. He's a Bills Wall of Famer, seven-time Pro Bowl performer, longtime CBS broadcaster, now on the Bills Radio Network, co-host of One Bills Live on the radio. We're going to get Steve's thoughts on the Bills at the bye, what they've done, what's left to be done, what lies ahead. We're also going to talk about the interesting times Steve and I have had already. We've just broadcast 10 games on the Bills Radio Network with Six games left in the regular season. Who knows what to expect? (laughs) We'll talk about that. Maybe you saw the item in the Buffalo News Sports page this past week about what we faced when we broadcast the Bills-Arizona game a couple of Sundays ago. The Bills are in good shape at the bye week. Seven wins. now. Before the season began, I predicted they'd win 11. That looks very attainable. Not easy, but attainable. Six games left. They win four, and they get eleven. I can see them winning games against the Chargers, the Broncos, Patriots, and Miami. Maybe even on the road at San Francisco. They've got to get healthy. They've got to stay healthy when it comes to COVID. They've done a pretty good job with that. And I think, and I said this at length last week, they need to play more physically. I said it last week. We'll see if they can do that, both to run the ball and to stop the run. Things broke their way over the weekend. The Patriots, the Dolphins lost. I think the Dolphins were exposed as not really a threat to a division title. Denver's defense handled them. They forced Tua out of the game. I think the Dolphins are going to wind up with eight, maybe nine wins when it's all said and done. That won't be enough to pass the Bills, I don't think. So looming ahead for the Bills in that six-game homestretch, what could be a playoff preview. Maybe a preview of the AFC Championship game Sunday night, December 13th, three weeks away. The 10-0 Pittsburgh Steelers will be in Orchard Park. The Steelers with that solid defense, a really good pass rush, and, of course, Ben Roethlisberger at the helm of the offense, that's going to be a challenge for the Bills, no doubt about it. Now, the Steelers play this Thursday night. They're home against Baltimore, and the Ravens will be desperate after their loss this past Sunday to Tennessee. The Steelers come to Buffalo in three weeks. They host the Colts in Week 16. They go to Cleveland to finish their regular season. I think uh, those are the big tests that they face. I think that Pittsburgh-Bills game three weeks away looms as a huge game for both franchises and just may set the tone for the AFC playoff race. But first, of course, the Bills host Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers this Sunday. We're going to talk about that game and the Bills in general with our next guest here on the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff, my color man, Steve Tasker, coming up next. Our guest, a familiar face and voice to me and many Western New Yorkers. He is the color analyst on the Bills Radio Network, my partner on Sundays, co-host of a One Bills Live seven-time Pro Bowler, a Bills Wall of a Famer, or a ninth-round pick of the Bills. Happy to have my buddy Steve Tasker with us. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I missed you to, uh, on Sunday this week.
1: Yeah, it was a little free time. Never hurt anybody. But, I, hey, I wasn't a, a ninth-round pick of the Bills. I was a ninth-round pick of the Oilers.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot what? about that. that. Yeah, I put ninth round Yeah, that's right. It was weird having a bye week, but it was needed, right? Not just for us to get a little bit of a break, but the Bills needed a bye week, I thought.
1: I think it's coming together for them nicely. I think they're getting better on both sides of the ball. Getting them healthy will help. They got a lid on on this COVID protocols, and I think the team is kind of, you know, galvanized by it a little bit. And I think also, Merv, I talked about this, you know, privately. I I think this Bills team is really good. I mean, really good. Their defense is going to come around. I think they're getting – they're solving some issues on defense. I still think they missed some big bodies up front, and it, and it has its own symptoms of that. But I think every team in the league is flawed. And Buffalo's flaws, I think they've got some strengths that really kind of overpower their flaws right at this point. I think they're really playing well. They're tough, tough, tough
0: to beat. Tell me where you see their defense getting better. A couple of weeks ago, I gave up on the, uh, their, what happened to last year's defense. Okay, it's a new year. I know that defense is gone. But where do you see them getting better? Uh, you know, I, I thought Arizona – Moved the ball pretty well against the Bills a couple Sundays ago. I think
1: – now, Kyler Murray is a different animal, no question right. about it. Uh, I still think, you know, that's obviously we've all seen that that's, that's a team that the Bills had every reason to think they could beat if they met again. But Kyler Murray makes a difference, and it, and it kind of nullified what I think the Bills are doing better, and that's pass rush. Uh, Kyler Murray's hard to catch back there. But I think you get into a game like, for instance, in the future when the Bills play Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger doesn't move around too good. Uh, that's going to be a problem for them. The Bills' pass rush is coming into its own. And I think also they're playing some better complementary football. When the Bills score points like they're able to do with Josh Allen and all these receivers clicking, and if they get their offensive line healthy, they're really going to start putting their foot to the pedal offensively. The Bills are going to get a chance to rush the passer defensively. And that's putting some pressure on those teams to put the ball at risk. And I think the turnovers have been a result of that. Now, certainly the Bills – would love to do a better job against the run, but if this, these teams are gonna to have to air it out to keep up, which I think they will, I think the big, you can count on the Bills uh, getting some turnovers and getting some teams off the field on third down in some spots where they weren't able to do that in the first half of the year. I think the Bills are gonna get better because of that. Uh, their pass rush is getting better and those, the guys up front on defense are playing a little bit better in the pass rush. So I think all that stuff combined, particularly with the complimentary football, the offense, is driving, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to get better, and I think they're going to be even tougher in these last
0: six weeks of the regular season. You see, but the bye week gives us a chance to reflect on what kind of team this is, and obviously there's a lot to like about this Bills team. One thing that that worries me, and I don't mean lay awake at night worry, but I do worry that the, the, the fact that they, you know, the numbers show they're not running the ball well and the numbers show they don't stop the run well. I wonder if they, they lack physicality on both sides of the ball a little bit. What do you think? Up front, I think they
1: do. I think they get pushed around a little bit. And, and I don't know if it's on defense. Cause they certainly got a couple of big bodies that they can work up, up front. But I think for whatever reason, either the techniques or their defensive calls or their comf- comfort level in the defensive scheme, some of the new guys, they got a ton of new guys, all the way from A.J. Epineza, the draft pick, to Vernon Butler and Mario Addison and those guys. They got a lot of new guys up front. And, and even on the offensive line where they've been shuffling down inside – they, have, they haven't won the line of scrimmage enough consistently. Yeah. Uh, I think there's no question this is an offensive line that's, that's pretty good in pass pro or at least good enough in pass pro. But in the run game, I don't think they, they fire out. Uh, I don't think they've won the line of scrimmage enough in the run game. And I think that's been a problem for them. I and I don't think even the coaching staff knows how what this group is good at because they haven't had them intact yet. Yeah. So there's still some hope there that when they get those guys in there, they can figure out what they're good at and get it together at the end of the season, put together a run uh, in the playoffs. But I think for now, I think that's been maybe their overriding underlying issue of everything is that on both sides of the ball, they've struggled at the line of scrimmage.
0: Yeah. They're good at passing the ball. We know that. And it's a lot of that as I'm Josh Allen. I was talking to a friend of mine in Denver the other day and uh, he was asking, well, when did Josh flip the switch? What, what happened? Was there a game? And I thought, no, his 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 improvement has been sort of a steady climb. I don't think there was a, a switch flipping moment for Josh Allen, and he is much better than he was last year and certainly two years ago. But there wasn't one uh, switch of the flip that made it happen. I don't think. Do you?
1: No, I. Th- in fact, you know, if you're talking about a, a switch and lights, I think Josh has been on a rheostat. It's been you've been turning it up, and <laughs> they turn it up and the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. It's been a steady climb. I've talked about it since. The first couple of weeks that he started playing back in 2018, every week he got a little better. And the coaching staff done a masterful job of getting him, giving him what he can handle, using what he does well to, the, to its strengths. And now uh, I was noticing this, in the last two or three games, certainly there's one or two of them, but they use him now in short yardage as a running back, you know, in quarterback sneaks and that kind of thing. You don't see any called runs for him. Once in a while, he'll drop back and do a quarterback draw. But it's almost dried up because he is so good from the pocket, and the guys outside are winning at such a rate, they haven't even gone to that well yet. You know, they're not even asking him to do it anymore because they don't need to. Uh, They're really efficient in the passing game. So that's – he's kind of grown out of the need to run the football with called runs to keep the defense on. Even in the midst of a season where they're – they're struggling to run the football. They don't need him. Um, Four-yard passes, six-yard passes, and then snapping off. a of, you know. A, I mean, at the beginning of the year, they were converting third and 11 and third and 12 like it was nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, it's been unbelievable. So I don't think it's been a, a flip of the switch. I think it's been a steady climb, like you said, and the light gets brighter and brighter as you turn that knob. It's, it's been pretty amazing. And I think it's, it, his ascension to where he's at now – I can't think of another quarterback in my experience that's done it as steady and as fast or as effectively as Josh has.
0: The you know, one thing Josh benefits from, I believe, is really solid coaching from Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey and Sean McDermott. And that group, and especially Dable, they've shown trust in Josh Allen this year that maybe they didn't they didn't have that trust in his first couple of years to open up the game against Seattle a couple of weeks ago the way they did with all that passing. To me, that shows that they really believe that this guy's good and he can get it done for us, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's not just about Josh either. It's about Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, and Gabe Davis. I mean, Gabe Davis changed the personality of this offense when they got into training camp. And, of course, it was an abbreviated training camp and everything was different. But Gabe Davis's productivity and his ability to, to know the offense and already have a handle on it when he got into the building in preseason – they gave them confidence to go four, four wides. And I don't think they were planning on doing that. You know, I think they were right. planning on, you know, having a running back with a tight end, maybe three wides and go with those top three guys. But Gabe Davis changed things for him. And I think that uh, even across the league has forced defenses to look at this Bill's offense completely differently. And, you know, all the, I think it's not just to trust in Josh and what he's able to do, but all the rest of those guys on, on the field as well. They, they, Trust those guys, and they give them big segments of the game plan to be responsible for, and, and they have been coming through. So, yeah, as much as they do trust Josh, I think it's a, it's a total team effort. The skill positions on this team are pretty close to elite. Yeah. And, and that goes, that goes from, the guy, from Josh all the way through Steph Diggs all the way down to Gabe Davis. They're deep at their skill positions, and teams know it. Defenses know it, and they're a handful. We're
0: well, with Steve Tansker, my partner on the Bills Radio broadcast me switch gears for a second steve the, did you read the buffalo news story yesterday about our experience in the arizona game <laughs> it, i don't yeah. i guess it was crazy it must, to an outsider and uh you know jason did a great job writing the story but it had to look like chaos right what was going on and we just kept doing the game i didn't know what it else to do it was chaos yeah. and we
1: it's happened to a couple of games this year. This is just like the latest in the long string. I mean, we went to the Miami Dolphins game, had a power outage at the stadium in Miami, and we were doing the game. We did have to do a couple of plays off of Jesus. The, the stats, line, the, the description of the play-by-play on, on, in print, we had to do a couple of plays like that. And then uh, we got power back in our booth before, before um, uh, anybody else got their power back in, in Miami. They couldn't even broadcast the game uh, except for the feed that they were giving us, so uh, that happened to us. Then they had a lightning delay in Miami. Okay. Then you know we had all kinds of problems in other games as well. But it's not, <laughs> it's not the perfect scenario doing these games this year when we're doing them from the same location every week. And that that storm that blew through blew through Buffalo while the team was in Arizona was no joke. No. And and having a 55 inch screen blow outward outside (laughs) away from us through the window was, I didn't think that was going to happen. I thought I was going to have to keep it from falling in with the wind (laughs) coming in.
0: You know, one thing uh, we've talked about this, every time we have a Bill's road game and we're doing it from Orchard Park, I go to the, I go to work that day, go to the stadium thinking, all right, what's going to happen today? I'll be ready for anything. You almost have to have that mindset.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, we got to, we got a, a good crew in there. I mean, Jeff Matthews was good. I mean, he hopped up on that, yeah. you know, up on that counter like he was eight years old, you know, climbing <laughs> on the furniture, and uh, pushed the 55. And I didn't – the screen could have gone off the cliff, too. It could have gone down sure. into the stand, and it didn't. Um, and you and I are sitting there doing it, and he, and he hopped back in and caught my – and ripped my entire headgear <laughs> off my head and unplugged the mic. Um, I was struggling with that. And it, <laughs> I don't even know what it sounded like on the broadcast I really don't but no. it was what are you going to do you just keep going and keep uh, going. Yeah, and I guess it sounded okay because nobody I haven't heard I didn't hear a peep from all the people I know that listen to our broadcast that they're in my family so they were listening for that stuff and they didn't yeah. hear it
0: how do you like doing radio as opposed to TV that you did for so many years
1: uh, I like it better yeah I, I like it better I like the ability to describe what's happening, and uh, it's more about painting a picture than it is X's, nose and analytics. Certainly, you can get into the analytics, but so much of what you do in football is watching film and X illustrating what's going on with the schemes and, and where the corner came from, but to describe it without the person you're talking to being able to see it uh, is something I enjoy doing. I like being able to paint the picture more than... And of seeing how striking the game is and how compelling it is without having to go into X's and O's and, uh, and, and an analysis like that. Certainly you get into some of that, but describing what it looked like and why it looked the way it did is much more challenging and fun to me than, than letting the pictures talk.
0: Steve it looks like we're going to have some playoff games to do I would think if the bills continue on their current path and I don't I don't really see anybody as a serious challenger to them winning the AFC East look I know the dolphins had a thing going they lost yesterday but I don't see the dolphins as a real threat to the bills what do you think
1: Not yet I haven't seen enough of Tua I think when you get into when you're going to play the buffalo bills your quarterback better play well that's all there is to it, and Tua is going to have to carry it. He hasn't had to yet, and we've seen other teams win Super Bowls without having a strong quarterback play. If they've got the defense and if they've got a running game and, and to, to carry the quarterback and he can do just enough, we saw that almost happen with the Tennessee Titans last year. They continue to have it happen like that, do the Titans. Uh, but sooner or later, Ryan Tannehill has to complete a lot of passes and, and do it on a consistent basis. Uh, That's the way Ben Roethlisberger as a young quarterback had to do it for the Pittsburgh Steelers with Jerome Bettis and that defense with, uh, you know, Harrison and those guys in the back end and Troy Palomalu in the back end of their defense. You've seen quarterbacks do that and teams do that. uh, But sooner or later, Tua is going to have to play and carry a big chunk of the offensive firepower of that team. And as of yet, nobody's had to make them do that. Uh, The Bills will make people do that. Josh will make people try and keep up on the scoreboard. And that's that's when the other quarterbacks got to man up and, and do it. And Tua hasn't been asked
0: to do that yet. Last thing, Steve, when the season – before the season began, I figured the Bills were good for 11, maybe uh, 10 or 11 wins. Final six games, if they win just four of them, they win 11. And you look at the final six games, there's four wins there, right, with the Chargers and Denver, New England, Miami, and maybe San Francisco. I mean, there's definitely – it's not hard to find four wins out of the final six, is it?
1: No, and if you, if you break them down one at a time, and those teams – not we were talking about this, Pittsburgh Steelers, they've got two games on their schedule that look like rough ones, Buffalo and Baltimore. Other than that, Pittsburgh's got to be thinking, hey, we're going to go. We're going to be all right. Um, yeah. But that, when teams – it's the, the point now, I think, when teams see Buffalo on the schedule, they know. When they start going over the film of the Buffalo Bills, they're looking at things. Okay, this is one where we got we to play well to win. San Francisco's thinking that. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are thinking that. Um, so are Denver. And, of course, Miami and the New England Patriots are thinking that as well. Uh, certainly the Chargers are this week. It's, this is a team that you're going to have to show up and play well to beat. And, um, and the Bills know this, too. I don't think there's a team on the schedule that the Buffalo would think, you know, they're going to – you know. Not like the old days where the Bills are going to get blown out by anybody. They're going to show up and they're going to play well. Um, that's been the hallmark of this team and, and this coaching staff. They, they get these guys ready to play. And that's, I think, uh, it's going to serve them well down the stretch. I think the Bills are going to be tough. And, they're, and I think they're going to take the right attitude. It's going to be one game at a time. Don't worry about the last six games. worry about the Chargers this week and put everything into this game. And I think they, that's the right mindset.
0: Steve, thanks for this. I look forward to Sunday, the Chargers and the Bills on Sunday with with a real-life game in front of us. We won't be worried about monitors blowing out the window anymore. (laughs) Me too. The weather is
1: going to be a factor coming down the stretch here. Yeah. Uh, I think the Bills are going to have to deal with that a little bit, but so will the other teams. I think, you know, if you're coming from L.A. into Buffalo – um, you're not practicing in the weather they're going to get on Sunday here in Buffalo, so we'll see. Uh, but I, I, I'm really excited about the last six games of this year. I think it's a really good football team, and I think we're in for a special, special finish of the year.
0: You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Time for the beer portion now of our podcast, and we are joined by Maria McPeach. She is general manager of the Irishman on Main Street in Williamsville. Maria, we've met, and it's good to see you again. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. How are you? I'm
0: okay. I'm okay. I I was, we were talking before he came on. I'm a little, and you got to be even worse. I'm a little bit concerned for restaurants in our area and, uh, and what you guys have been going through. Uh, We'll talk about that, but let's start with the Irishman first. Uh, How long has the Irishman been open and operating there in Williamsville on Main Street?
2: Um, It has been here over 13 years. Um, We'll celebrate 14 years in April.
0: Okay. And how long have you been with the Irishman?
2: Uh, Since day one.
0: Okay. uh, What was your background before you started there?
2: Um, I my pretty much my whole life I've been a, a bartender and a server and uh, did a little bit of managing and a little bit of retail. Um so that was and I started here as a bartender and a server and you know, a little while into it became manager, general manager. So here I am.
0: <laughs> I wonder over those thirteen, fourteen years, how much does that place reflect you and, and your character and what you look for in a restaurant? Is it you must there's a piece of you in that place, right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely, you know. Seeing the growth from day one, we started out of this little, you know, 90-seat uh, restaurant, you know, and then we've built on the, the banquet rooms and the, and the patios and the bar patio, and it's just, it's just the growth has just been great, and it's been great to be a part of it.
0: It's been well received in way, not just in Waynesville, but in Waynesville and throughout all of Western New York. I think people know your place. It's a destination kind of, isn't it?
2: It, it has become. It's so, so funny when we first started here, you know, I'd say uh, we're right across the street from Kitty Corner from the Eagle House or Kitty Corner or at the time Sweet Jenny's was across the street. And now the local shops are saying, now we say we're right near the Irishman. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> Turn around. And there's an Irishman in uh, East Aurora. You're affiliated with that one as well. Your company is, right?
2: Yes, yes. So the, we just opened that. It will be uh, two years in February.
0: I've been there. It's not too far from where I live. It's a much smaller place. Not quite not quite the same vibe, but it, it's similar a little bit, right?
2: Right. The, um, the owner was trying to go for a little bit more um, modern um, Irish feel um, instead of a more of a traditional Irish pub like we are here in Williamsville.
0: Well, I, I want to get to that. In fact, it's my next question. What does it mean when you call yourself a traditional Irish pub? What are you going for
2: there? We're going for um, the kind of feeling that you would have if you walked into a pub in Ireland, that Fun, friendly, um, you know, raise a pint, celebration, make new friends, uh, that that type of feel is, is our is the just traditional just that comfortable um, place. And in Ireland the pub is the place to celebrate everything and, and you know, you know, even celebrate and even um, mourn things. You know, we they run the gamut. So the pub's very important to Ireland and that's what we try to do here at the Irishman. What it's, are it's- the
0: elements that of- go into creating that kind of atmosphere. What do you need to have to have that kind of atmosphere?
2: Uh, Good Irish beer.
0: (laughs) For starters, yeah. For
2: starters. uh, uh, So good pints um, and and a good pint pour. And then uh, of course, you know, good food and just like I said, friendly uh, staff and you know, just that everyone's welcome.
0: All right, you mentioned Irish beer, which takes us right into Sullivan's. How does Sullivan's, all three products from Sullivan's Brewing, how do they fit into what you're pouring there at the Irishman, and and how do they rank in terms of the Irish beer there?
2: They do very, very well. Um, you know, the backstory for Sullivan's, you know, all of my staff knows the backstory and loves to tell the story, loves to tell that it's the Schmidtick family, and, you know, um, and the... The black marble stout has been hugely received here, um, as, as, as well as the red, and we just brought in in cans the Sullivan's Gold, but all of them have been well-received here. Everybody loves the story that they're from Ireland, you know, and it's very traditional.
0: Part of the story is uh, years ago, hundreds of years ago, the owner lost it in, in a horse race, lost the brewery. That's got to be part, one of the favorite parts of the story, I would think, yeah, right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: it has character to it. Tell me about the success of Black Marble Stout. Uh, There are traditional Guinness drinkers, people who swear by Guinness uh, Stout. Uh, How does Sullivan's Black Marble Stout fit into that picture?
2: Um, It's so funny because um, we have, there are some diehard Guinness drinkers that drink the Black Marble Stout now um, here at the the Irishman. Um, You know, we've done some tastings and stuff and it's, the product is outstanding and you know, a lot of times with these different craft beers that you bring in, you know, and people sample them and they go, okay, I'll have a, this is with the Sullivan's products. This is a beer that we find where we sample people on it. And they're like, oh yeah, I want one of those. And they, they're hooked and they keep coming back for it.
0: What do, you, what do you think? I mean, Sullivan, you don't have to, I'm not looking for false uh, praise here, but Sullivan's is sort of a traditional tasting beer. Unlike many of the other beers I'm sure you sample and and the people come in and look for from time to time, right?
2: Right. Exactly. They, it is, they are traditional, you know, the Irish red and the, the you know, a stout, you know, uh, those are traditional. And it, it's so funny. I just had a gentleman that ordered a Guinness the other day and asked for a lemon because he likes to eat the lemon to take the bite off of the Guinness the, at the end because the, it's a little bite. Sullivan doesn't have that bite. So I gave him a sample of black marble and that's what we have a new black marble trigger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Keep doing it. What about as a beer focused restaurant, you can't just serve Sullivan's. You can't just serve one brand. What are some of the more popular uh, beers that you serve? And, and what kind of trends have you noticed in, in beer over the last couple of years?
2: Well, uh, IPAs are obviously hot and killer. And um, so we have noticed um, the Ghosts and the Sours have, have big, become more popular um, in the last couple of years. Uh, those are the ones that we see on the rise. But the traditional ones are the ones that are are mainstay all the time.
0: And how do you account for the uh, almost rocketing popularity of IPAs over the last what three to five years? What 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 what's
2: the appeal of IPAs? Do you think? Um, I I think the IPAs uh, they appeal you know to a wa- wider um, draw of people you know from your twenty something up until your seventies you know it's like. Sometimes those uh, niche craft beers only um, appeal to one age group, but I think the IPAs have, have been able to um, cross the age lines and get everybody on board with them, and, and male and females too.
0: We got right into my next category. The thing I want to talk about is is the demographics, like the age difference between different beer styles and what appeals to certain people. Uh, uh, how would you describe it? The uh, the the um, you know the, the flavors and fruit flavors those are younger people and the the older people go for more traditional styles is that in general they what tend,
2: happens? They tend to, but the IPA has, has managed to cross those demographic lines, so it appeals to a broader you know. But you're right, the the um, more uh, the sours and things like that tend to be in that twenty thirty something category.
0: Hmm with Maria McPeak. She's general manager of the Irishman on Main Street in Williamsville. Um, having a beer-focused restaurant like the Irishman is, uh, it's more than the beer, isn't it? There's other things you have to be mindful of. What, what would some of those things be, do you think?
2: Uh, as, as far as like um, pouring a good pint, having, we have the glycol system here, making sure the, you know, got to have a good pint. You know, if it's poured, it's got to, you know, the lines have to be cleaned, you know, on a regular basis. All that is important. And then, of course, You know a menu to serve with that 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 beer that complements the beer so
0: yeah talk to me about maybe the sanitary aspects of the cleanliness aspects of of pouring beer and how you train people to do that right and and to actually pour a beer the right way
2: what goes into that not only do we train um the staff on how to pour a correct beer um it's it's very important to um to them to know about whatever beer we have on draft. so we have extensive training every time we bring in a new new beer um there's a, a profile sheet that is given to all the employees and they have to memorize it you know um even though we have draft beer lists they have to be able to give guidance to people you know about Bs and, and what have you and styles so it's very important that the staff training is very very important
0: is it hard for staff who might not like beer drink beer to become Somewhat experts on what they're serving. How does that work?
2: Um, most, yeah, it's not really um, because, like I said, they love the stories behind things. They love it. it like I, you might not, not necessarily be a beer drinker, but you can always appreciate the quality and the the stories behind the beers. So,
0: tell me about the food menu. What kind of food is important for a a beer based uh, place like like The Irishman?
2: Well, we like to we we like to call it a little bit more like upscale pub fare. Um, you know, we do have um, you know our wings and fingers and quesadillas and things like that. You know, our big pretzel always a big pretzel goes great with beer and you know yeah. Irish mustard. <laughs> so, yeah. but um, you also you know we have great salmon and chicken dishes. You know, we run steak specials. Um, so it's it's great when we run specials, especially to be able to say, hey, this 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 draft goes great with this. This dinner special or, or lunch special.
0: Maria, well, yeah, as the general manager of the Irishman, you're also a member of the Western New York Restaurant Association. Tell me about that. What what's what does the restaurant association do?
2: Well, um, especially right now, um, they're working their butts off for the restaurants in New York. Uh, obviously, with all the different restrictions that are going on, um, they are really have been there. The association. Is working really hard and they've been able to, you know, open outdoor dining and and really fight for us through through all of this and they've been just they've been just great and they've been so important we have Done zoom calls um, among restaurants in all of New York and it's great to find out in which areas are doing what Uh, great to find out, you know, getting creative um, with curbside pickup and and you know outdoor dining and things like that. It's great to feed off each other.
0: I think in the current climate, it's probably never been more important for restaurants to to work together and present a unified block when they go to the government, right?
2: Yeah, it, it is. It's 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 very important right now that we stick together. You know, um, we know that our co- you know our colleagues are hurting in different areas, and and you're here in Western New York, and it's it's important that we support each other and, like I said, bounce ideas off each other and just figure out how to stay afloat.
0: <laughs> Maria, the um, the governor put many Western New York restaurants, many Erie County restaurants, on, on level orange uh, earlier this week. How big a change is that? What does that mean practically to the Irishman for a tip?
2: Um, it's a drastic change, um, being closed in indoor dining. Um, that that's it's very it's it's stung. You know, we understand the reasoning behind it. We want everyone to be healthy, but we. It's done a lot, um, so we have to move strictly to outdoor dining and uh, takeout, you know. So that's where we're, we are, and that's the boat we're in right now.
0: You built, what, a couple of years ago, a pretty substantial outdoor dining area, a patio. Is that still usable now in Little Orange?
2: So our we have several patios during the summer, three. Um, we actually created a fourth this year, um, but the one that we can – um, is usable during the weather in Buffalo is our, our uh, covered heated patio, which is in the very front, which we built as a bar patio. But unfortunately this year we were only able to use it as a dining patio.
0: Is that usable during the level orange or level orange right now? Is it is
2: right? usable. There, there's um, 10 tables out there that are usable during level orange. So we will make the most of that while we can.
0: Yeah. Maria, what is, as the, the, pandemic in general, and maybe going to um, the orange level this week, what's that done to employment at, at the Irishman?
2: Um, we've had to um, cut our staff severely. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in the 13, almost 14 years I've been here. Um, my, I, we have a wonderful staff, um, we're a family, and so it was very, very difficult to do that. Um, 15 employees uh, got laid off. Yeah, That's so bad. And,
0: and. You, you, were at, you were at the, what, level red for a long time, a, a complete shutdown from, what, March till June, it was almost, right?
2: Yeah, June. It was till the end of June, yes, when they opened patio dining, and then we were able to open back up again.
0: Do you have any thoughts on where this might go? It's, I guess nobody knows how bad the, the pandemic's going to get, but what are you hearing? What do you think?
2: Um, I think that it will, you know, if the numbers don't improve, which we haven't seen that yet. That we will go in the red again. Um, what we want everybody to know for our guests here at the Irishman, we are going to stay open. We will make sure that uh, we have creative menus for your holiday needs, uh, how long ever it lasts, or how long you're even if we go back to yellow or fully open. Um, we just want every all of our guests to know we'll do whatever is comfortable for you. We we'll continue takeout, pick up, uh curbside, whatever you need to feel comfortable and to feel safe is what we're ready to do here.
0: Maria, as, as general manager of the Irishman and, and as a member of the Western New York Restaurant Association, what kind of help do you guys need from the government? Uh, what would you like to see happen to help you survive this 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 time right now?
2: It, it, it's financial, it's definitely financial. Um, what uh, members of the restaurant associations that people uh, are not forgetting about um, but caterers with no events, it's you know they they literally at least we had some where people could come in and we could we could have some sort of um, income where the caterers they're they're almost nothing and now now nothing they have nothing and so they we really need financial help and you know the PPP loans are gone we need more you know we need financial help as well as our employees you know it, you know laying off employees with no it's more help from the government it, it, it's it's terrifying actually
0: <laughs> has the government been responsive to date? I mean, do you feel like they've done what they have to do?
2: Um, they, they it, you know at first there was a lot of funding and everything, but there isn't any and it doesn't seem like anything is coming down the pipeline, and that's what the association is really trying to push for um, because our industry. Our, first of all, our industry in New York State um, is the second highest sales tax in, in all of you know, uh, all of the New York State, the first being the auto industry, auto sales. So here is an industry that we have paid our fair share. <laughs> you know, We need help now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess, I mean, when this is all over, whenever it comes, I, I think – Maybe I'm just blowing smoke, but I think people have a new appreciation for the restaurant industry. You know what I'm saying? They they might appreciate it more, and, and maybe moving forward, there'll be uh, better things to to come. What do you think? Am I crazy? I
2: do, I do. Once we are once we are on the other side of this um, this pandemic and things are looking brighter, I do I do feel that even now, you see the more appreciation of from the guests and everything of what the staff does and what the restaurants do. You know, so it's even now we see it. So I think once we're over the the hump, if you will, we'll, we'll see more of it.
0: Well, Maria, best of luck. Yeah. Hang in there. Thank you very much for doing this with us today. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this week's installment of Sullivan's pro football kickoff. We are brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company from Kilkenny, Ireland. The makers and importers of Sullivan's Malting's Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Available in bars and stores in Buffalo, throughout upstate New York, New York City, Long Island, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Columbus, Ohio, several parts of Georgia. Soon to be in a store near you. Give Sullivan's a try. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about the podcast also. Shoot us an email. Our email address is Kickoff one word, at gmail.com. That's Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Thanks to our guest today, Steve Tasker, my partner on the Bills Radio Network, my friend. Love bouncing thoughts off of him regarding the Bills and the NFL. Also, Maria McPeak of The Irishman, Main Street in Williamsville. I wish her sure, and all restaurant and bar owners well. Just hang in there. Hopefully, there's better times ahead. It's going to be a different Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend to be sure for the restaurant and bar business. But Here's hoping we all survive and we all see better days not too far ahead. Thanks to our producer, Pat Feldball. We'll see you next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the beer.